Greetings, friends and brethren in the Lord. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly, exceedingly great joy. Well, if you think it doesn't sound like me, I know it doesn't, and it's because I am getting over a cold, so my voice sounds deep and gravelly and nasal, and it sounds even odd to me, so I'm sure it sounds really odd on the radio. But I am excited to be with you. I really am. Uh, today, I'm actually going to be um, touching a little bit about uh, the birth of Christ, but only in the context of what the title is today. And the title of this message is Supernatural Impossibilities. Supernatural Impossibilities. And we are going to be spending the entire time of this message in Luke chapter 1. And there are 80 verses in Luke chapter 1. So if we don't cover it all today, we will definitely conclude it next week. And I am preparing just to just to give you a little taste of something to get you excited. I am preparing another Christmas show like we did last year. So I'm looking forward to that. We're going to run it to... Um, two Mondays in a row because uh, Christmas actually falls on a Monday this year. And many of you may not be listening to the radio on Christmas Day uh, evening. So we're going to run it the Monday before and then uh, which will be December the 18th and we're going to run it on the 25th. So I'm looking forward to that because that is a fun show. Last year was the first time I did a Christmas show with the hymns. And um, talking about different Christmas songs and the uh, history behind the song. And then different uh, groups doing um, each musical piece. So it'll be fun. You can look forward to that December the 18th and the 25th if you are if you still have your radio on. And um, uh, so I'm going to get started with today's message. Supernatural impossibilities. Um, anytime we talk about supernatural... Uh, we know that it's an impossibility because supernatural really means something out of the natural, something that isn't natural. And of course, Luke chapter one is all about things that were not natural, things that were supernatural, things that really were hard to believe that they happened. And that's how it goes with things of the supernatural. You just can't wrap your brain around it sometimes, and you just wonder, how does God do that? Well, he's a supernatural God, and believe it or not, if you're a Christian and you believe in Christ, you are a supernatural being as well, because the Holy Spirit lives in you, and that, my friend, makes you supernatural. Now, you may not operate in the supernatural, and what I mean by that is, that, you know, we live here on earth, we live in a fleshly body, but many times we just live our life daily um, in an earthly, fleshly way. So we're not operating or even thinking of spiritual things. And I can tell you that the closer you get to the Lord and the closer you get to things that are spiritual, the more supernatural things 
will begin to happen in your life. Now, that's not anything to be afraid of by any means. In fact, living a supernatural life is a very, very exciting life. And it's quite an adventure to live supernaturally. And that is just living by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul commends us to walk in the Spirit. Okay, he tells us to live by the Spirit, and he also tells us to walk in the Spirit. So walking by the Spirit is walking according to Galatians 5.22. And we know that to be the fruit or the fruits of the Spirit. That's walking by the Spirit. But walking in the Spirit is listening carefully to the commands and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, we will walk in a supernatural way at at a supernatural level. So the more you can tune yourself into living a supernatural life, in other words, living from a place of the Holy Spirit and of what the Spirit says to do or not to do, or just waiting to get your um, daily orders from the Holy Spirit is one way of beginning to live a life supernaturally. So let's talk about some supernatural impossibilities that occurred that Luke, the physician, wrote about in his book. So I'm going to be reading strictly out of the New King James Version today. And we're going to start with verse 1 because Luke, um, he's, he, he's saying some important things to us here. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. This Gospel of Luke was written to Theophilus. And Luke is explaining in the first three verses that the reason he's writing this is to make sure that he's got this account of what happened in an orderly fashion and to make sure that people understand it. And he makes the declaration that these things that he's writing are not just made up, but they were eyewitnesses. The, the ministers that he talks about, they were eyewitnesses of the things that happened. And so he concludes to Theophilus in verse 4, that you may know the certainty, that's important, the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So whoever gave Theophilus his instruction, and it could have been Luke, um, he wants him to know that whatever instruction he received, it was a sure thing. It was, it was accurate and clear. 
So now he begins to lay the foundation in verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we have very godly people here to start off with. We have Zacharias, who is a priest in the temple. His wife is a daughter of Aaron. Aaron being the very first high priest. Or she would have been um, in that lineage of Aaron, daughters of Aaron. That's what they mean. And her name was Elizabeth. So we have Elizabeth and Zacharias, and they are godly people. They are holy people. They are righteous. And verse 6 tells us, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So they were a couple who had no children, and they were living a holy life. And verse 7 says, But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years, meaning they were elderly folk. They were old advanced well advanced in years so in in our time i'd say that's probably referencing around late 70s early 80s verse 8 so it was that while he zacharias was serving as priest before god in the order of his division according to the custom of the priesthood his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So that was his service. That's what he, that was his turn. That's what he was supposed to do, burn incense in the temple. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So there was a whole bunch of folks gathered outside that were praying. Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Let me just stop there a second. In those days, it was a very difficult thing for a woman to be barren. It was a reproach on the family, certainly a reproach to the woman who was barren, it Women were expected to conceive and have children, have a family. So here she is, probably late 70s, early 80s, and she's not had any children. And so it's been a reproach. It's been hurtful to her all these years. But the angel says, yippee Kaye, you're going to have a son. Your wife is going to be pregnant. You're going to have a son. And guess what? You're going to call his name John. 
and it's going to be joy and gladness when he is born, and many, many are going to rejoice at his birth. Now, here's where the angel delineates and lays it out for what kind of child this John's going to be. Verse 15, for he, referring to John, the baby, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And we'll reference that again a little later. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him. That's capital, capitalized, him. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To do what? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, number one, and to the disobedient, to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this John is coming into the world with an incredible destiny and purpose on his life. He has a mandate on his life. He has a mandate on his life to turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he's going to do it in the power and the spirit of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. John will be a prophet as well. And this prophet John, John the Baptist, John will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient people to the wisdom of the just. And ultimately, this is all for one purpose, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord's coming. Verse 18, and Zacharias said to the angel, well, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So let me stop there for just a second. We have just um, listened to, read, about a supernatural event. Zacharias is in the temple. He's doing his thing. And an angel, a big angel, appears. And an angel has a conversation with him. Now, I'm just curious. How many of you have had an angel appear to you in your bedroom, in the kitchen, wherever, and speak clearly to you and give you clear direction? about your children, about anything. 
probably most of you are going to say, I've never had that experience. So this is supernatural because angels just don't appear and angels just don't talk to humans. But the angel Gabriel, he says of himself, he stands in the presence of God. He was sent by God to tell Zacharias about the son he's going to have. And this angel lays out the exact purpose and plan for John's life, what he's called to do, what he will accomplish, and that's very clear. So that alone is one of the first supernatural things that happens. Then the angel does an interesting thing. He makes Zacharias mute. He can't speak. And that's supernatural because how many of you have ever had an angel speak to you and tell you you're going to be mute? So he's mute and he tells him, you'll be mute until this is all fulfilled, until that, till the day that the baby is born. Okay, verse 23. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that means Zacharias's service in the temple, when it was completed, he departed to his own house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Well, don't you think that if an angel shows up and tells him, your wife's going to conceive, don't you think he's going to rush home when he gets there? And what do you think the first thing is going to happen? Of course, he's going to tell her all that the angel shared with him. He's going to be very excited. And obviously, he knows that when they have this union together, that she's going to conceive. So, you know, it must have been a joyous moment coming home to share all of this. And of course, he would have had to uh, write it because he is mute and he can't talk. And so initially his wife's going to wonder, like, what has happened? But it's okay. Um, she conceives. And I have to apologize because I have a, a lozenge in my mouth. And if I don't have that in there right now, I'm going to cough through the rest of this message. So please bear with me. And verse 24 concludes by saying, she conceived and she hid herself five months, saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. She probably, you know, the Bible doesn't say, but she probably hid herself because she is an elderly woman who is now pregnant. And that's really an odd thing, right? People are going to wonder, like, oh my goodness, you know, all these years, all those fertile years and she couldn't get pregnant. Now she's well advanced in her years and she's pregnant. So instead of having to deal with all the fallout and all the gossip, she just hides herself for five months. And 
she's certainly happy that the Lord has taken away her reproach. Okay. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Virgin's name was Mary. So this same angel Gabriel who came to Zacharias, he's showing up on the scene here in Nazareth, and he's going to talk to this virgin by the name of Mary. Verse 28 says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. She's probably thinking, what is this about? But when she saw him, when she saw the angel, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Yeah, like, why are you saying this to me? Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary says to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Does that sound a little familiar? How can this be? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, I want to stop there for just a minute. Okay, we've got another supernatural encounter. This is an impossibility because we saw with Elizabeth, she was well advanced in her years. Her husband is just as advanced in his years, and they conceive a child. Not possible in the natural. Now we've got Mary. Same angels coming with another message about conception, but Mary's like, Mary's not married. She's a virgin, and she's saying, I don't know how this is going to happen because, you know, I'm a virgin. This, like... I'm, I'm, I'm betrothed to a man, but I'm a virgin. So how is this all going to play out? And the angel then goes on to explain that the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that's going to um, uh, bring about this conception. That in itself, that in itself is one of the most supernatural impossibilities probably, of all of the scriptures. At least it ranks way up there. Think about it. Here's a woman who's never known a man, and she's going to conceive. But not just any baby. She's going to conceive the Son of God. So this is a supernatural impossibility. But again, 
you know, I I get excited about this kind of stuff because I just think, wow, this is like so cool. Um, you know, an elderly woman who's barren all of her life all of a sudden has conceived, and now this virgin is going to conceive by the Holy Spirit, not by a human, and that in itself is so um, supernatural. So we're going to go on, um, verse 36. Oh, I did want to say that... um, The angel also prophesies again or explains the destiny, the future destiny of this baby, like he did to Zacharias about John. He tells Mary, this is going to be the name, just like he told Zacharias that the name of the baby would be John. He tells Mary that the name of this baby is going to be Jesus, Yeshua, Yeshua, Messiah, and He's going to be called son of the highest, and the Lord God is going to give him the throne of his father, David. And he's going to reign over the house of of Jacob forever. And this is the best part, says, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, we know that um, Isaiah prophesied the same thing, prophesied in, uh, I believe it's chapter 9, that... Uh, he prophesied that of God's kingdom, of the Lord's kingdom, of the Messiah's kingdom, there will be no end. Okay, verse 36. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son. And the, the angel's still talking here, still talking to Mary's. Now, telling Mary, hey, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So he's really helping Mary to get a grip that not only is your your situation, your life situation supernatural, but your relative Elizabeth had a supernatural conception as well. Because he goes on to make a very important statement in verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. You know, that statement is a statement that I tell you, it's one of those statements like, you know, write it, write it in the sky, write it and put it on the refrigerator, write it and put it in the bathroom, write it and put it on your, you know, the dashboard of your car. Because this is a life scripture that is so important for with God, nothing will be impossible. Because he's a supernatural God, and we're his supernatural children, nothing is impossible with him. He has ordered the universe. He has created everything that is created. Therefore, he has control over it. He is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, and he is able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. For with God, nothing, nothing will be impossible. I tell you, you ought to stamp that scripture right on your heart. Or, as the Bible says, write it on the palm of your hand and look at it every day. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Let that be a life scripture for you. Because 
things are going to come in your life. And they're going to seem absolutely impossible. But you can look at that scripture, Luke 137, and remember that it is a promise to you and I. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, you can flip that around and say it this way. For without God, everything is impossible. Because that's the other flip side of that scripture. Without God, everything is impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. We're going to stop there. Obviously, we weren't able to get through all 80 scriptures today. But this, I I just love it. You know, I've read this so many times, and I'm sure if you've spent any time in the Bible, you've read this story over and over, and I, I just love it. I mean, it's just, there's something about the Word of God that you can read it over and over and over, and it still has punch, and it still has meaning, and it still has excitement. So anyway, I'm going to leave it there. I want you to believe in the impossible because these people lived in supernatural impossibilities. And you know what? We are meant to live in supernatural impossibilities as well because Luke one thirty seven says, For with God nothing will be impossible. Well, I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries. I am signing off tonight. Shalom, shalom, peace be unto you. You can go to the website, www.pureheart.today and listen to this podcast again. I bless you, and I look forward to seeing you again. Shalom.